Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, December 21st. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. With the economy still in free fall, a major breakthrough as congressional leaders agree to move forward with a nearly $1 trillion stimulus proposal. But is it enough for those who have been hammered by the pandemic? And with Southern California dealing with a severe spike in new coronavirus cases and deaths, the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine expected to boost efforts to save lives from coast to coast. And President Donald Trump still not willing to concede the November election, several advisors reportedly encouraging the outgoing president to invoke martial law in order to investigate debunked claims of voter fraud. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. After weeks of intense negotiations, Congress and the White House have reached an agreement on an emergency federal relief package. But as Shea Rodriguez explains, there's still more to be done before any of that money ends up in the hands of residents here in the U.S. More help is on the way. This bill is a good bill. Sunday night, lawmakers from both chambers finally agreed on a COVID-19 rescue package to the tune of $900 billion. What I'm excited about in this bill, and is really the democratic difference, is what it does for America's working families. It is packed with targeted policies that help struggling Americans who've already waited entirely too long. The details of the plan haven't been released, but it's expected to include money for schools, small businesses, unemployment benefits, and direct payments to households. And a portion will pay for distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. But there's still work to be done here. Now we need to promptly finalize text, avoid any last-minute obstacles, and cooperate to move this legislation through both chambers. Certainly no small task. The announcement comes after months of policy disputes and partisan finger-pointing. We've heard Democrats say openly they were not willing to deal all summer and fall. What took so long is because we could not get our Republican colleagues to crush the virus. A number of procedural steps still need to take place to clear the way for a vote in both chambers. President Donald Trump said he will sign the coronavirus relief package once it reaches his desk. But Democrats say this bill is just the first step. It is not the end of the story. It is not the end of the job. Anyone who thinks this bill is enough does not know what's going on in America. Shea Rodriguez, U News. And the UK under emergency lockdown for the holidays as a new, more contagious strain of COVID-19 spreads there. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., an average of 250,000 cases reported daily with hopes the newly approved Moderna vaccine helps accelerate the inoculation process. Days before Christmas and the UK on lockdown again. As Prime Minister, it's my duty to take difficult decisions, to do what is right to protect the people of this country. A new strain of coronavirus spreading there quickly, about 70% faster than the original strain. It doesn't make you more seriously ill, but it does spread more readily, and the vaccine should continue to be effective against it. France, Belgium, Italy, and the Netherlands banning travel from the UK. Canada also joining the list of countries, but the US so far taking no action. We have about six flights a day coming in from the UK. 
and we have done absolutely nothing. To me, this is reprehensible because this is what happened in the spring. Coronavirus is in China, it's in China, it's in China. No, it wasn't. It went to Europe and it came from Europe and we did nothing. Meanwhile, across the country, infections, hospitalizations and deaths keep climbing. It will get worse because we still are experiencing uh, the outcome of the Thanksgiving um, holidays. According to data from Johns Hopkins University, the number of known cases in the U.S. doubles about every two months. 1.5 million new infections reported just this past week. In California, one in every 80 residents of Los Angeles County is infected. In Tennessee, the governor is tightening restrictions on social gatherings. And in Arizona, inundated hospitals in Yuma County's border communities say they're seeing wait times as long as 10 hours. And as the pandemic ravages the country, Moderna's vaccine now available to help fight back. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There are now two vaccines that are approved. They are incredibly effective and efficacious. Nearly 8 million more vaccine doses being distributed today. 2 million from Pfizer and nearly 6 million from Moderna. We are very confident that by June, anyone in America who wants to have a vaccine will have that opportunity to have a vaccine. And health officials are saying that UK's mutation is not surprising. Viruses mutate, but they are not sure if the mutation in the UK is something we've already seen here in the US. They do warn that more than 4,000 variants of COVID-19 have been reported so far. But the good news, at this point, none are resistant to the new vaccines. Now to Washington, where a tense meeting in the Oval Office brought up the possibility of using martial law to overturn the election. Edwin Pitti has the details from the nation's capital. Edwin? Hi, Lorraine, that's right. We are a month away from Biden being sworn in as the new president of the United States, and Trump still refuses to accept the results of the election and concede. New reports show that last Friday, during a meeting in the Oval Office, President Trump continued his efforts to overturn a lost election while promoting baseless claims about voter fraud, a practice that has been nonstop in the few times he has spoken to the media and in his Twitter account. Sources told CNN that Trump is bringing back a controversial member of his legal team to help. Attorney Sidney Powell, she has repeatedly pushed unfounded conspiracy theories about the election, including false claims about rigged election machines. The same sources are saying that Trump is considering Powell as a special counsel to investigate voter fraud allegations, which have even been debunked by members of his own administration. The idea resulted in a heated discussion where White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and White House Counsel Pat Cipollone strongly rejected the idea of giving Powell that kind of power. But the recently pardoned former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was also in the meeting and gave his own suggestion on how to overturn the election results, suggestion that created an immediate response from Democrats on Capitol Hill. Take a listen. Also ordered, he could order the, the um, in, within the swing states, if he wanted to, he could take military capabilities and he could place them in those states and basically rerun an election in each of those states. I mean, it's not unprecedented. I mean, these people out there talking about martial law, it's like it's something that we've never done. We've done, the martial law has been instituted 64 64 times. It's just extraordinary uh, and, of course, dangerous, destructive of our democracy to even have these kind of talks. 
Despite President Trump denying on Twitter the idea of imposing martial law, there is a new blow to the president's efforts to revert the result of the election. Outgoing Attorney General William Barr said during his final press conference this morning that there is no need for a special counsel on election. Let's listen. The extent that uh, there's an inv investigation, I think that it's being handled responsibly and professionally uh, currently within the, the department, and to this point, I have not seen a reason to appoint a special counsel, and I have no plan to do so before I leave. Barr also said that the investigation into Hunter Biden's financial dealings was being handled responsibly and professionally. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And meanwhile, President Donald Trump is downplaying a massive cyber attack on the government after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo linked the attack to Russia. In a couple of tweets over the weekend, Trump, without evidence, said that China could be involved. The president also did not condemn the attack, instead claiming that it could have impacted voting machines. Officials inside the Trump administration have said the attack poses a grave risk to networks across the public and private sectors. And those familiar with the matter said the president's remarks contradicting Pompeo has left officials scrambling to reconcile the competing statements. At least half a dozen federal agents are agents are now known to have been targeted in the breach. The Russian embassy in Washington has denied any involvement. And joining me now to talk about this massive data breach is Max Bergen. Bergman. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Thanks for joining us, Max. The president is blaming China for the cyber intrusion, but the data points to Russia and not China. Is that correct? And where is the president getting China from? Yes, all, all indications point to China, or sorry, excuse me, point to Russia. And the China claim is just simply the president trying to deflect attention from Russia to China. And this is the behavior that we have seen again and again and again from the president, where he, whenever there is the need for the United States to stand up to Russia, Whenever Russia has attacked the United States or taken action against the interests of the United States, he has uh, taken action, spoken out uh, to deflect attention. And that just raises questions about what his relationship is with Russia. Uh, but all national security uh, professionals that have assessed this, all the indications from all the reporting, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and others in the classified briefings that happened to Congress point to Russia. Max, Republican Senator Mitt Romney addressed the severity of the hack. Let's listen. What Russia has done is put in place a capacity to potentially cripple us in terms of our electricity, our, our water, uh, our communications. I mean, this is the same sort of thing one can do in a wartime setting. And so it's extraordinarily dangerous and it's an outrageous affront on our sovereignty and one that's going to have to be met with a very strong response. Max, what kind of information is at risk here, and how can this impact everyday functions of our government? Well, this is the nightmare scenario, because effectively what's happened is that Russia has a backdoor into all our systems, in not only for the United States government, but for many private companies and corporations as well. And once they're in these systems, knowing where they are, where they've gone, what they've taken, what they've seen, and what sort of booby traps they've laid uh, is going to be an, ex an extensive effort on the part of the U.S. government 
And so as we transition to a new administration, and the Biden administration is going to want to stand up to Russia, uh, there's got to be a lot of concern about what the Russians may be able to do in response. Uh, will the Russians be able to uh, wipe out the data for a U.S. company? These are these questions that are now going to cause a lot of concern and angst amongst uh, um, amongst U.S. government officials. Uh, and for it's created a real crisis that the Biden administration uh, is going to have to try to deal with from day one. And Max, moving on to a very important point now, the hack reportedly started in the spring, but it only surfaced recently. And it was a private a cybersecurity firm, not U.S. officials that discovered the attack. Why were U.S. agencies so slow to detect the attack? Well, I think this raises real questions about uh, the U U.S. Cyber Command, about U.S. cyber operators. I think the one thing I would say is it's very hard to take a very strong stance against Russia when the White House and the president and the head of the government is telling you not to. And you know that if you then take strong actions against Russia, that the president will come and admonish you for it. So the United States government has been completely incoherent, has been unable to have a coherent strategy toward Russia. And I think this is the byproduct where you don't have an intensive focus uh, where there's gaps in where uh, in where our agencies are, are are addressing their efforts, and and then you ha have vulnerabilities. And so we need to have a new administration that comes in with a coherent, integrated, clear approach that uh, that we're speaking as one government and trying to respond to. Uh, these Russian efforts, and we're taking the threat incredibly seriously. And that's something that the White House and President Trump simply haven't done. There's been no leadership. You have a podcast called The Acid in which you explore Trump's links to Russia. Talk to us about Trump and Putin's relationship, and why is the president unwilling to be stronger on Russia? So one of the few very consistent things about Donald Trump is that his unwillingness to ever admonish Russia. And that has to raise questions about why. And I think you have to look at the president's business interests, that the president operates a vast real estate network. Uh, and one of the things that we know that the Russians do is they launder money. And so this has been one of the unexplained aspects of, of President Trump. It's something the Mueller investigation never looked at. But one thing we do know, and we know from the Senate Intelligence Committee that recently came out with a report, <coughs> that the president has uh, the president's campaign was deeply tied to Russia and and tried to further Russian interference in the 2016 election. And so I think the contacts and connections. Uh, and, and Trump's own just willingness to act in a corrupt way in his interests as opposed to the country's interests uh, has always been at play here. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the president is, is some, uh, has, has you know, some secret case, KGB asset. What he is is someone who's been compromised by Russia, and it's in his interest to defend Vladimir Putin and not take action against him. And so he's acting in his own personal interests. Uh, and there's a lot more to it, and I encourage people to, to listen to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight, Max Bergman of the Center for American Progress. Thank you. And Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is spending part of Monday stumping in Georgia. She'll campaign for the Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, according to the transition team. 
There are the two Democratic candidates campaigning for Senate seats in a runoff election against Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. The, this election will have a major ripple effect for the upcoming Biden administration. If Warnock and Ossoff both win, there will be a 50-50 tie in the Senate, and Harris would cast the tie-breaking votes. If either Perdue or Loeffler keep their seats, the GOP would have the majority. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And it's not just the Commonwealth countries taking precautions. Israel's government has announced a ban on incoming flights from Britain, Denmark, and South Africa. Foreign nationals from those countries will be temporarily barred from entering Israel. Israelis returning home will need to quarantine in specially designated hotels if they have visited any of those three countries in the last 14 days. Meanwhile, China is planning to vaccinate 50 million people with homegrown vaccines ahead of February's Lunar New Year celebrations. According to health officials, essential workers will be the first to get the vaccine. That group includes disease control professionals, custom and border inspection workers, and those working in the food industry. China has administered over a million doses of domestically produced vaccines to people in high-risk groups since July. Officials say they found no serious adverse reactions so far. Meanwhile, five vaccines by Chinese companies are going through the final phase of clinical trials in more than a dozen countries around the world. And in South Korea, that country recording its deadliest day of the pandemic. Earlier today, the country's Disease Control and Prevention Agency announced 24 new deaths in one day for the very first time. That brings South Korea's death toll to almost 700. The agency also reported more than 900 new coronavirus cases, most of which are in Seoul. In response, the city's acting mayor announced today a ban on public gatherings of four, five or more people from December 23rd to January 3rd. Overall, there have been over 50,000 infections across the country since the pandemic began. And now to Mexico, where residents in the capital city are scrambling to do their holiday shopping before lockdowns grow more severe. But doctors are alarmed at the crowded conditions found in many spots across Mexico City. Jonathan Mejia has more. People lined up at shopping malls in Mexico City before an unexpected shutdown prompted by a spike in cases. For 23 days, only essential services will be functioning. You can get a sense of desperation from shoppers. Only essential services like ambulances, police and buses, as well as pharmacies and takeout will be allowed to operate. But even with those strict measures, people are still out in the streets. It's sad that we don't understand. It's even sadder that the economy is going down, but we don't understand. The measures follow a spike in the number of hospitalizations. In scenes like these, a gravely ill man arriving in an ambulance was turned away because of a lack of hospital beds and respirators. We couldn't take him. Minutes later, he died. 
We did everything possible. The city's hospitals have reached maximum capacity according to a report by Mexico's Institute of Health and have been forced to ration care. My father had diabetes. He didn't deserve to die like this. The government is killing them. With the rising cases, doctors are asking for help. Mexico's General Hospital, which is one of the largest in the Americas, can't take any more patients. We are overwhelmed with the number of hospitalizations. Planes are flying in from other areas of the country with doctors and nurses to relieve exhausted healthcare workers. Reported by Alejandro Madrigal in Mexico City, this is Jonathan Mejia for U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.